You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, welcome to Culture Determined. I'm your host, R.A. Cohen-Wade, and my guest today is Katie Baker. Uh, Katie, could you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Katie Baker. Uh, I'm a staff writer at The Ringer, and uh, yeah, long-time fan of the internet. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on. Um, and I've actually wanted to have you on for a while, but and you wrote something that gave me the perfect excuse to do it, which is this very fun piece uh, that ran at the Ringer a couple of weeks ago, uh, Nickelodeon's Generational Divide. And so the Ringer did like Nickelodeon Week, um, like two weeks ago, and a lot of content. And was it was it pegged explicitly to that day of the Rugrats and Doug debut? Yeah, so the yeah that was our we're always we're always looking for a good anniversary peg, um, and this one was the 30th anniversary of the launch of Nicktoons, which was um, Rugrats, Doug, and Ren and Stimpy in 1991. So yeah, so, so um, someone someone I remember. Tweeted, yeah, someone tweeted that, and I did. I joked that name a more culturally important day for geriatric millennials. You know, I'm, I'm, I'll wait. Because it is kind of crazy that three shows that are iconic in each in their own way, and they all debuted on the same day, August 11th, 1991, so, you know, 30 years ago. And so you guys, there was a bunch, you guys did a bunch of different stories. You interviewed people. Uh, you did like a, uh, I guess it's a classic thing with The Ringer. You did like a um, March Madness-style competition of who was the ultimate Nick character. And I think SpongeBob won that. Yeah, I'm. I, I'm pretty sure. Wasn't it like SpongeBob versus like I'm trying to remember the. Wasn't it like versus um the uh like the was it the Rugrats guy or who was the final? I should. I, know was this. it Tommy? T- yeah, Tommy. Or no, it was I, like it, it was too. It was. I mean, it, it spoke to. I remember it kind of spoke to the point of my piece, which was like when we sat down to first of all come up with the list of entrants for the bracket, you know, which everyone had a ton of people that were left out that they're very upset about or a ton of entities. Um, I think like the aggro crag was left off and I was very upset. Um, but a, ca- a character, yeah, it's like a, a New York city is a character in sex and the city, the aggro crag. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, but it was, there's such a generational divide. Like, and I, to me, it's kind of pre post SpongeBob. Cause that's almost, that's my personal like cutoff point. Um, basically when I, was graduating high school and going to college. And, um, you know, I definitely remember like SpongeBob being on at, on TVs in college, like, but it wasn't something that I was watching or have any real familiarity with. Um, whereas I can go down the line of all the, you know, nineties era shows. And so anyway, that part of what my piece was about was kind of that, um, you know, how everyone has these really specific memories of Nickelodeon and, um, everyone thinks theirs is like the specific one we know that ours is actually the one that matters <laughs> as our geriatric millennials but yeah so um I, I forget anyway the the bracket ended up being like a battle between you know the new era and the old yeah, so era. I, I, I just loaded it up so the final four did you start with 64 yeah i think so didn't we Incredibly, yeah, there were, i think there were 64 originally yeah. and the yeah. final four ended up being uh doug tommy pickles oh, that's right doug SpongeBob and Arnold from Hey Arnold, which then, I was annoyed because I feel like Chucky should be above Tommy Pickles, but that's just me. <laughs> that's yeah, character versus show. Obviously, these are all <laughs> essentially. I mean, yeah, the main the main character of their show. I guess I right. see. It looks like 
it looks like Tommy from Rugrats made it to the Elite Eight, but was taken out by SpongeBob, the eventual champions that was SpongeBob okay, versus Tommy enough. Pickles. And so there's probably there may be people watching who have essentially no idea what we're talking about because if they are. <laughs> you know, five years older or younger than you and I are, and we are at the same age and actually do each other a little bit of college, um, then this is perhaps all nonsense. And so this is like a micro-targeted episode, but that is, like you were saying, this is what your piece was about, that they're sort of like, I don't know, each generation has their own Nickelodeon or something, but maybe... Like, I've never seen iCarly, but iCarly is a... I mean, I think it's having a a whole, you know, reboot right now. Yeah, they're bringing it back. Yeah, so there's all this stuff. And with SpongeBob, it's similar with me. I don't think I've ever actually seen an episode of SpongeBob or maybe even seen it on a television. It's But it's certainly, like, it's one of the... It's, like, the most memed thing, and and people who are just a bit younger than us were into it. My my brother is... Was born in 1990, and so mm-hmm. I feel like I, he would have been into it, but maybe even he was a bit too, just a couple of years too old to be into SpongeBob, which, so SpongeBob debuted in 1999. And yeah. maybe he was just slightly too old for it and was more into like Power Rangers and, and that kind of stuff yeah. at that age. So I somehow, I missed it like both, both times, but, um, yeah, but so we're, so yeah, our micro generation, the geriatric millennials or something, the elder millennials had this, had <laughs> I, this saw, sli- I saw this someone slice. call it, was it you that retweeted? Someone called it elderly millennials. That wasn't recently. me, but that, I like geriatric. <laughs> and it, I was like, funny. me too. I, it actually, I used to really resent, um, I used to, when millennials first became a thing, like back in the Tumblr days of the late aughts, people have started to really talk about millennials a lot more. And I remember being resentful that I was a millennial because I felt like I, identified more with like the gen i mean there's been things obviously said since then like the jared leto or the jordan catalano jordan generation, or 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 Trail Trail. generation yeah um but now but i feel like we've settled upon a very apt like i like that it's this elder millennial geriatric millennial because it it gets at how i feel about being a millennial well still i mean i, I am a millennial so I need to just accept it yes and so we're among the older cohort of millennials and yeah i mean the oldest millennials turn 40 or turning 40 this year and there are um, out there there are millennials who are grandparents i assume if you you know people have a kid at 18 or 19 and that happens again so yeah millennial people you know the, the media has been obsessed with millennials for so long finally they're more they seem to be more interested in gen z these days than millennials but like and i mean we were before the show started we were talking a little bit about you know uh, other blogging has people like mickey cows and one, one of his the things that annoys me about him is he's always talking about millennials treating them like they're eternal like 24 year olds and whose parents are telling them to go out and get a job but like you know uh, millennials have been in the workforce <laughs> for yeah and the people who um you know they're just talk about both the child tax credit or this idea that jd vance had about giving parents uh, the votes of their minor children oh, um, yeah. to empower parents more because J.D. Vance is, is is either actually believes or is pretending to believe that there's like a war uh, of the childless against parents. But like, who has kids under 18 now? It's like, maybe it's some Gen Xers, but who, who, you know, who is in primary, like, childbearing years? It's it's millennials and older Gen Zers, I guess. So Yeah, which I mean, like, is it's interesting to me like when we talk about Nickelodeon like it I I always wonder how how big of a force that is like how big of a force the like nostalgia trade is you know what I mean because as as we all know we love to talk you know I think we get owned by Gen Z for talking about the 90s so much um (laughs) but we're also now the people that are increasingly in charge of making decisions about what gets rebooted and what gets brought back and 
um, with the launch of Paramount Plus, I feel like they're kind of doing a fair amount of Nickelodeon based um, reboots with Avatar, The Last Airbender and all, which is another show that I have no like relation to, yeah, but it's obviously a huge cultural, um, you know, force. So yeah, like I, I always wonder how much this tendency of ours to kind of remember our childhoods and want to share it with our now, you know, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. So one of my proud parenting moments is that my five-year-old loves the show Inspector Gadget, which I used to love. And so <laughs> that's um, really cute. yeah, there's actually a rebooted Inspector Gadget, which is kind of random, but it's good. <laughs> is, it, is there still uh, Penny and Dr. Claw? And, yep. uh... and there's a character that I think is new. Um, I, I mean, it's like Dr. Claw's nephew is, and he's kind of Penny's foil and he's kind of a bro. It's actually kind of funny. So check yeah, out the, the new the, Inspector Gadget. I mean, we could talk entirely about the nostalgia angle for a whole episode. And so much of like popular culture now is playing on nostalgia and re- recycling things from either our childhood or Gen X or baby boomer childhoods. I mean, the entire Marvel cinematic universe, all those, almost all those characters were created in the sixties. <laughs> yeah. Ghostbusters is now being rebooted for a second time. Um, you know, the Transformers movies, the He-Man just had a rebooted cartoon. It's like, yeah. So uh, it, nostalgia is huge. And then you have, all this stuff with like the toxic fans who are angry that like the Ghostbusters are women now or whatever. And so, and then, or even if you get like one little thing wrong and then like the fans online are super angry, but anyway, but so yeah, maybe some of that will be happening with the, um, with the Nickelodeon properties. But part of what I liked so much about your piece was mentioning these things that have not been rebooted and basically forgotten by the culture. Um, and so there was, yeah, I mean, parts of it were, were I mean, this is like a personal experience reading this, and, you know, um, mentioning, um, you know, Pinwheel, David the Gnome, uh, Roundhouse, Are You Afraid of the Dark, Linda Ellerby. Like these, you know, this was really, I was like cast back <laughs> into my uh, into my childhood. And, and uh, yeah, so, okay, how did you decide that within uh, Nickelodeon Week, this was, this was going to be the piece that you were going to write? Um, well, it was funny because after we had that planning meeting, I think they were thinking about, because the piece was sort of like a, I don't want to say it was the keynote piece and make it sound like it was some special piece, but it was, it was run on the first day of our whole week. And it was kind of a stage setter for what was to come and um, to kind of contextualize the bracket a little bit. Um, But when they approached me to assign me that one specifically, it was kind of funny because um, my editor, Mallory Rubin, who's I think right about my age, she might be a few years younger, but she was like, we thought you'd be a good person given your you know, unique insight, you know, a, a lot of my coworkers are like 24 years old. So um, they, I, I had a, a good, you know, bird's eye view of the sprawl of the network. And we were kind of joking. I was like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> make me feel old. Why don't you? But, um, but yeah, no, it's something that we had, and even as a ringer staff, we've talked about the SpongeBob divide before. Um, and so, you know, it, it just felt like a good way to, just kind of set the table and um, I was happy and lucky to talk to some of the folks that were around in those early Nickelodeon or you know there was kind of the early early Nickelodeon days when it was like first technically founded and then there was Nickelodeon as we know it was sort of the result of a rebrand and so I talked to a lot of people that were there at that inflection point which um, you know as I write about is like what you know, re- resulted in like the orange splat logo that we all know and love and, um, and kind of the, the look of the network that 
kind of crazily enough, like still indoors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. And so you interview some of the yeah, people who are behind the scenes who I, I, you know, I never heard their names before, but also Michael Malley, who was sort of the public face of the network for a couple of years there in the early nineties. And you start off with the burying of the, um, of the, uh, time, the Nickelodeon time capsule, and which is, I mean, just the way you, the event itself is absurd thinking back on it, but the way you describe it is very funny. And the things that were, okay, well, why don't you talk a little bit about that? The things they put in it and the way they were talking about it and the kids world council, which, which I guess, <laughs> you know, it's decided what items to put in and <laughs> so forth. Yeah. Like um, it was April, 1992. So it was, it was like a little bit after the, um, you know, the, the Doug, the, the 30th anniversary, but it was kind of that same era, which is like, to me, the really prime era that I just remember very specifically. Um, so yeah, I mean, you can look it up on YouTube, this Nickelodeon 1992 time capsule, and the YouTube itself is as good of a time capsule as, as the, the eventual vault. Um, you've got Joey Lawrence, he's wearing a vest and, and jeans with a big black belt. And, um, but yeah, the, they had, um, and what I love about this is the list of items is very Nickelodeon. You had a Game Boy, you had a VHS of Home Alone, you had a skateboard, but then you had a piece of the Berlin Wall. And, you know, they had, I think they had something about, um, I'm not sure what exactly they put in. I think they put in like newspapers with clippings about like the ongoing AIDS crisis. And the you know, something about the Gulf that, War. Yeah, something about the Gulf War, um, which is so which really speaks to Nickelodeon because things I remember about Nickelodeon, like in addition to all the shows, I remember the, um, a lot of like climate change stuff. I mean, like, I feel like, you know, I know in the nineties earth day, recycling environmentalism was pretty big and there's a lot of that. And, um, and a lot of, you know, Linda Ellerby, as we were talking about, like she interviewed magic Johnson back in at the time. And I think that was kind of a, you know, that's like a, a big subject to be putting on there. Um, and it just showed how they really respected kids and kind of didn't talk down to kids, um, kind of as a, a institutional mandate. But anyway, also had some GAC in there, um, which uh, for those that, that don't, that, you know, that weren't 10 years old or nine years old <laughs> in 1992, GAC was kind of like, kind of like the slime putty craze of today. Um, but like better, I feel like we've almost gone backward in, in putty technology, um, in the intervening decades. Yeah. I remember, yes, um, I had multiple GACs. I, I, and then I think I, I had like the, it must've been like the second iteration of GAC where they decided to make it, um, to oh, give it like, a, well, the words, okay, there was Flom, Flom was something different, but they had, there was a, like, once people were bored with the initial run of GAC, they decided to do like GAC that smelled like different food. Or something, or at least different smells. And one of the smells was butter popcorn. And that's the one I got. I remember it smelled so bad that I think my mom made me throw it out because like as soon as you opened it, like it made the entire house so like this like butter popcorn is already an artificial smell. So it was, but it was like an artificial imitation. Of artificial like every smell. jelly belly bean like combined. Yeah, so I remember that being gross. And so yeah, part of so they had a, a lot of it was like gross out stuff and so on and so forth. I mean it is funny to think about like so yeah, the Berlin Wall falls in <laughs> in eighty nine, and you know people are saying adults are saying it's the end of history, and then like but then the Gulf War happens, and I re- I very that's one of the first like political events yeah. I remember, and my um my I think I was in second grade, and the uh, my teacher her like nephew was 
in the military and was deployed and he sent yeah. back like an MRE with like peanut butter in it and like the kids were passing it around and like tasting the peanut butter and stuff. So it all seemed very exciting. There were, de- there were Desert Storm playing cards. I tweeted about this in the past. Yeah. Uh, so if you get a Dick Cheney, Secretary of Defense playing card, Colin Powell, Norman, Storm and Norman, Schwarzkopf, all the allied uh, countries had their flags and stickers. It was a strange time um, in various yeah. ways. But I, yeah. my, my biggest memory of it is that one of the priests at my church was like in the reserves. And so he got called. Um, and then the, oh, this is such a dumb one, but the, I think just, cause I think about this a lot with my kids. Like I'm, my oldest one is at the age now where when I was his age, I, I can remember things from being that age. Right. So I think about it all the time. Like, what's he going to remember? Um, and, and I remember from desert storm, that I guess it was just always on the news. And so I always must've just been hearing the word Baghdad. Um, if I didn't, it didn't mean anything to me. And whenever I would try to get, if my dad was like sitting somewhere and I was trying to get his attention and I'd be like, dad, dad, and he wouldn't hear me. I would, I would go Baghdad and he would always look. And so I just would always call it like, I would, that was like my word for when my dad was listening to me. I'd be like, Hey, Baghdad. <laughs> and that always got, I'm like, what? Um, yeah. But I mean, so those are the kinds of things that like, you know, then at the same time, Nickelodeon is, you know, putting parts of the Berlin wall in a time capsule and um, addressing these sorts of things and tra- telling kids to rock the vote and all that. So um, yeah, it's a funny mix of, uh, and, and, and um, by the way, this was all taking, this time capsule was all taking place at, um, you know, what to me was like the Mecca of, of kids in the nineties, which was the Nickelodeon studios in, in Orlando, Florida. So there was yes. that aspect to it too. Yes. And, you know, I'll tell you afterwards who this person is, but someone we both know, I mentioned that I was going to do this and this person, uh, grew up in Florida and, uh, actually told and told me that he competed in Legends of the Hidden Temple, um, but uh, was eliminated in the first round. That was an eternal shame. But yeah, the idea that so they had all these game shows. Double Dare was the most famous, and then Guts and which is sort of like um, what is that show? Not American, like American Gladiators. Yeah, American, it was like American yeah. Gladiators for kids, and yeah. then which Legends I watched the, a lot of too at the time on USA. I mean, I watched a lot of American Gladiators. Yes, I did too. It was a super fun show. And yeah. this, so this was sort of the kids' version, and then there was also Legends of the Hidden Temple, which I guess was sort of like got mashed up with like Indiana Jones, sort of, and with weird like Mesoamerican um, <laughs> stuff. <laughs> in part of it, where like the there was this talking uh, Olmec, you know, <laughs> skull, all sorts of strange things, just like describing them n- neutrally. Anyway, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll to reveal who that was afterwards. Um, but yeah, so it, it had its own unique. Stamp. And so I was trying to think what, what was it and then what has changed. And one idea I had was there was a sort of idea of like kids versus parents. And that early Nickelodeon yeah. was like, this is just for kids. Your parents don't want to watch this. And you're maybe, and then like I, I got Nick magazine. I feel like there must have been stuff like pulling pranks on your parents. Or yeah, there was stuff. Do. There was like annoying songs to sing on, on, a, on a car ride. Like I remember, I feel like that was almost in like the opening issue. Like that was like the big hook. Like yes, they like, so, advertised that. So a, another game show that they had on was Wild and Crazy Kids. Do you remember that one? Oh, that was like that in Legends of the Hidden Temple were the ones that I just dreamed about. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, a, so a, I, a contestant on. Okay, we we had similar, uh, you know, aspirations <laughs> as eight year olds of being on these the shows. The giant think, game of Simon Says on Wild and Crazy Kids. Yeah, that one, I I think, like, they must have like taken summer so camps cool. or something. So it was more like groups of kids versus individual yeah. kids. But the, I remember very specifically, my dad 
hated that show in particular. It would often make me either like turn the volume down or turn it off because the whole thing was just kids screaming. Like what, you know, when the kids were competing, there were like kids on the sideline screaming constantly. And so it was just children yelling. And he was like, shut it. he was like, shut it off. Um, and so, but there was this sort of idea. So it, like, it wasn't the like maybe Gen X or baby boomer, like parents versus kids, like a real sort of battle, maybe more of the baby boomer resource, like, you know, they're fighting over Vietnam or something. Right, right, right. But it was like the parent, yeah, like this is just for kids. This is for parents. Whereas I feel like today there, there's been like a change in the culture where parents and kids are not, are more on the same team than they were when we were children, where it was maybe you were still somewhat of a, you could still be somewhat of a latchkey kid left unsur- unsupervised for more period of time, not as much as like a yeah. kid in the 70s, but more than today. And then, I mean, yeah. there's an article in the New York Times uh, style section or something just a couple of days ago about um, how decorating a dorm, a college dorm room is now like this huge <laughs> thing that parents participate in. And there's like Facebook groups where parents are exchanging ideas and it's like a whole industry where there's fancy headboards and like wallpaper you, know, you can cheaply put up and all this stuff. And like, so we went to college together. I don't, I don't remember a single person yeah. whose parent participated in. It was like the kids that room. went to boarding school that knew about the cinder block trick to like give you more space <laughs> under the bed. Right. Like, was, so the, the, parent, the, the leading edge. Just, so it's just, there's been a total change in the relationship between parents and children and whether they are oppositional, maybe it's like, you know, the baby boomers were original, the original like child rebels or something. And then yeah. for our generation, it was sort of like, we're opposed, but in a, like a joking way, where like you're just pulling a prank on your parents, not, you know, running off to join the Manson family or something. Or yeah. today, the parents and kids are like working together to decorate the dorm, <laughs> the dorm rooms of even like legal adults. Yeah, they're like tagging each other's like Instagram accounts. Like yeah, or the, this whole thing where parents participate, participate in the um, the TikTok videos that their like twelve year olds are making and doing the silly dances and stuff. So there's it's just like so this was sort of a mid period. Yeah, it, no, no, I mean it was like like I think it was at my amazing colleague Alan Siegel. Um, he did like a a guts oral history, and the, and like I I think it was him that had this quote, and someone had a quote that like Nick wasn't like a family network; it was a very explicitly a kids network, and it was like. You know, and, and it's not, and the shows still had that aspect of, like, I mean, when I watch Rugrats now, like the parent characters in Rugrats are an absolute riot, um, it, like really, really genuinely funny. But it wasn't, I don't know, I feel like it wasn't quite that same thing as even like to me, it's almost like with Shrek is sort of when I think about that whole thing starting of everything actually being, it's like an adult movie that a kid can be entertained by versus a kid's movie that like has some funny characters that'll appeal to adults. Like it's just like a yeah. nonstop cultural reference train. And, you know, um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of, it wasn't like, yeah, I guess it actually was a little antagonistic. It was like, yeah, annoy your parents, like um, get messy, like be slimy. Yeah. Like I mean, you want, you <laughs> want your parents to buy this item, the gack that like, if you, you know, left in your pocket it went through the wash like everything was ruined it's like so so that was part of it and then i guess or maybe even that would be like a prank that a kid would pull it's like dropping the something in there to mess everything up um but yeah i'm thinking like the the show even the shows that were on like in the early 80s things where you know i would have watched as like a five-year-old like he-man or transformers there wasn't stuff in there that was for adults watching yeah. yeah. Whereas, like Shrek, the, like, and a lot of people see that as sort of a negative turning point, especially in terms of animation. Like, 
the yeah the whole thing is still it's like winks to the parents and pop culture references the parents recognize and then like the dis we also were prime the prime audience for the disney renaissance movies yeah. which were like hit that sweet spot of, of entertaining children but adults could still watch it and really get something out of it but it wasn't like here's a reference to a tv show catchphrase you know for five years ago or something it's just like here's a really good story that like the whole the whole family can can enjoy but but that was sort of the disney thing very family yeah. friendly the nick thing was more rebellious and yeah like yeah and it was like the character like it was like use it like sure they used the character like it was almost like really good character development but and, and that was the kind of like i mean it totally you can watch it now and be like oh my gosh Dee Dee is a trip um but <laughs> but it wasn't her, it wasn't like Dee Dee's just being like a mouthpiece for like whatever the latest like you know, like meme catchphrases, um, right. which I appreciate like looking back and, um, and it's funny, like the, the logo, um, the, the kind of splat, that orange logo with the word Nickelodeon on it. Um, they pick like one of the reasons they picked that color is because they did a survey of parents and that was one of the colors that parents didn't want. Um, <laughs> it was like that and slime green. And, and so as he, this designer I spoke to, um, who, like many of the people I spoke with came into his job in the late eighties to help rebrand the channel with no, um, no experience with kids. He wasn't like a kid's designer or nothing like that. Um, he just got this job and he actually, this is a guy named Scott Nash. Um, now he's like that. He kind of made his whole life into, um, being a children's book designer. And, uh, um, so it was very, it made a huge impression on him. Um, but it's just kind of funny because a lot of the people that were doing this like came to it um, from a perspective of not being like a kid's person. Um, but I think that's why it worked. They treated kids like they were grownups, but didn't, but indulged in all the things that kids wanted. You know, they, they indulged kids like they were grownups, I guess I should say. Yeah. It wasn't like a kind of pandering. Um, yeah. It was, but like, it was like, this is the kind of thing kids would like. And they were mostly right about it. I'm sure there were shows that were like total failures and we don't remember, yeah. but even though like, you know, even like, Hey dude. And, and, uh, salute your shorts were only on for like one or two or three seasons. I know it's funny when still you go back. Like, iconic, and yeah. Iconic shows. And, um, yeah. So they seem to, they like somehow captured like, you know, magic in a bottle kind of thing of the right people understanding what kids want at the right time. And then says, I don't, I don't know. Um, I never, once I aged out of it, I didn't like dip back in. And so I don't know if SpongeBob is like a different sort of humor that I think appeals to a different sort of kid or. That's a good question. The, the, the through lines that I saw in it were in the sense of like Doug and Rugrats walked so SpongeBob could run. Like they kind of helped create this whole Nickelodeon animation studios, um, which I think then like enabled them to really like have this kind of second wave or I don't know if it was second wave or third wave at that point of, um, of these shows. Um, and then like, interestingly enough, like kind of the same um, success was also what hampered something like Nickelodeon studios in Orlando, because now they were starting to have, you know, these scripted shows with kind of these more of what, what I consider to be more Disney like shows um, like more Hannah Montana style stuff. And the the kids that they that were you know starring in these shows like didn't necessarily want to go to Orlando, Florida. They wanted to be in L.A. or New York because they were you know showbiz kids and right. um, and that that like was a new change and everything. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting to see kind of the through lines of 
um, you know, how one thing led to another. I, I don't know if, I mean, I don't know how SpongeBob is in terms of like, yeah, if, it, if they were trying to like tap into a different kind of humor or if they were trying to, because it's not like memes existed then really. Like right. they weren't going for the screenshot, you know, like that kind of thing. Right. Um, it seems more, it seems like most like Ren and Stimpy from what I understand, yeah. if we're yeah. saying those are the three, or the three, you know, 1991 debuts, um, it seems to flow from that and be a lot more antic. Yes. And like, and maybe more Looney Tunesy, um, in terms of like crazy things happening all the time. Whereas yeah. Doug and, um, <laughs> and, uh, Rugrats were more, a more reality based cartoon, I guess. And, uh, I, I, and I just, uh, I think I'd message you this that there's, uh, there's a, um, ice cream chain that is having a Rugrats <laughs> Reptar bar, like, you know, thing. So this is obviously appealing to, people of our generation who have children now that are, yeah. you know, roughly... They're like, hey, Rectar, and the kids are like, okay. Like... Yeah, the kids, well, I don't know, unless it's still on, like, on Nick Jr. or something, or... Although you do mention that they did sort of a Nick at Night for, you know, like, 20-somethings, airing some of the old shows yeah. on, on Late Night. Um, and, I mean, Nick, you know, I, Nick at Night was another huge thing. I, I So I watched a, an incredible amount of television as a child, Me and too. I would just... It would just be like on all the time. I'd do my homework with the TV on and my parents didn't care because, you know, I was getting it done. And yeah. And so, yeah, I would, I also saw all these, you know, 50s, 60s. Mr. Ed. I remember I was doing like, Mr. Yeah, Ed. Green Acres and um, <laughs> the Donald yeah. show, Bewitched. It was weird. Was like, Lassie on Nick Jr. or, or on Nick I think, they, or I think I... Lassie was yeah. on during the day. The... Yeah. Cause I, I watched a lot of Lassie. It's funny, yes. like doing research for this, this piece, like I, I, it, you know, because sometimes you have these memories and then you wonder if they're true. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, I remember watching this show on a Sunday. Like, I remember in my mind, I remember watching Red and Stimpy on Sunday morning and having to go to church like halfway uh-huh. through. And then I was like, I don't you know. That could be one of those memories. that's not real. Um, and then I looked it up and I was really happy to see it was on. I like looked up what time it was on. I was like, actually, that's a that's a real memory, you know. But but there's all these shows that um, that I must have been watching when I was like three years old because I remember the shows, but when, it, I mean, unless Nick was re-airing them. I, well, I sort of remember- you, you, you mentioned it as sort of the, like somewhat the hazy history yeah. for people our age. And so that's like Mr. Wizard and David, the gnome, I think they would just air them during the day. And so if I, yeah. if I was sick, you know, t- was like sick at home watching TV, I would just watch that. And it was, yeah, it was Mr. Wizard. Sometimes you can't do that on television. David, the gnome, <laughs> pinwheel, Pinwheel, some others. It was like, Even like Eureka's from the, Castle. Yeah. Like- yeah. Ones from the early eighties that they would, became sort of their syndicated rerun kind of thing um or maybe even late 70s yeah so that is it's kind of kind of weird or even canadian things i think yeah because you can't do that on television was canadian and that's why alonis mm-hmm. morris that was in and, it and i and i remember it's funny before i even there was a show called 15 and it was kind of like a teen soap opera um i think that's the one that like ryan reynolds was in or something hmm. like that um, but it was like heavy hitting stuff. It was about, you know, 15 year olds with like substance abuse, and, you know, um, and I would watch it and I was, I don't remember how old I was, but it was a little too old. I, I remember it was kind of boring, but it was also interesting because it was high schoolers. Um, but I remember they had Canadian accents and I didn't know what Canada, I probably didn't even know what Canada was, but I would be like, for some reason on Nickelodeon, everyone says a boot <laughs> instead of about. And I like, that's one of those memories. I'm like, I swear that that's true. And it's because of that show 15, this girl, Brooke, would always come up. She was like the, the gossip. And she would say, what are you guys talking about? And I was like, why did she say it that way? But yeah, it was a lot of Canadians programming. 
That's really funny. Yeah, and then Degrassi is also Canadian, right? That that's yes. that must have come over on a, maybe it was on Nickelodeon or another channel like that, and that was somewhat after I stopped watching. Um, yeah, and yeah, that's funny. Okay, so you talk you mention and provide a link to uh, something about the Super Toy Run. Can you talk about that? Yes. So the Super <laughs> Toy Run was um, in my memory it was KB Toy Store. I don't know if they changed it around, but. Um, it was basically like supermarket sweep, which you, people might not even know what that is, but like a game show where you had, how, what was it? A, was it a minute or was I it like five minutes? Okay, five minutes. Or at least on, um, yeah, on the yeah, tour, it was tour a minute. you had it five was, minutes. Yeah. Um, you had your, your giant cart and time went off and you ran through a giant toy store, um, the likes of which barely exist anymore. Big box toy store. Um, right. Because both TV and Toys R Us have gone bankrupt in the past 10 years. Yeah, so, exactly. All those like, the, yeah, those Toys R Us type stores like aren't really. Um, so anyway, it was like run up and down the aisle, like, you know, get all the dolls and the video games and the, you know, the giant um, remote controlled cars like in your cart. And when your cart fills up, you get a new cart and see how much you can get. And then you got all that stuff. And um, and I remember for years, one of my favorite things on the Internet has been on AV Club. Um, they have this like interview with several people that were contestants on the toy run. And it's, it's just like a really delightful read, um, just like really good vibes. And one thing that they talk about is that, you know, you kind of hear about that and you're like, oh, there was probably a million, you know, uh, disclaimers where they actually only went home with like two toys and, you know, anything that fell on the floor didn't count. And it was actually like totally the opposite. They would rearrange the whole store so that the kids could get the most toys you know, possible. And obviously all this stuff I'm sure helps the, you know, the, um, the bottom line in terms of like, there's a little bit of, you know, cynicism there, but they were really, they would sit with the kids beforehand and strategize and Mike O'Malley in particular, the host was called out by multiple kids for just like rocking their world, being so cool, helping them out, like making sure they weren't nervous. Um, cause it's a crazy atmosphere and yeah. And then they, these kids literally like a, basically a dump truck of would arrive at their home and like drop off all the toys that they won, you know, like a few weeks later. And then all of a sudden it was actually, it's a really great read. It's like they, um, you know, some of them, it was really hard at school because all of a sudden all these kids came out of the woodwork and wanted toys. And it's just like this really funny. Um, but I remember watching the toy run and it just blowing my mind. It was like, I can't imagine anything that would be cooler. <laughs> yeah, it was, I had totally forgotten that this thing existed. And then I read that interview also, and we'll have the link to both your piece and the, and any other piece we mentioned here below on the site. And um, yeah, it, and then what struck me was like, yeah, the, the adults really did care about the kids and you, you know, they could have, so I, this was this, you know, event that was promoting getting people to watch Nickelodeon. And also I assume KB Toys was donating the money yeah, or whatever because they were in this, the wheels of some probably, but like yeah. they could have just done it where like okay you win ten thousand dollars and you get to spend that at a KB toy store but instead they made it this event and like they took it seriously even though it was so silly and absurd but also the kind of yeah. thing that would totally like blow a little kid's mind and be the most exciting event it is his or her childhood life and yeah they really like so yeah you could have just I don't know if something like this happened today well first of all it'd probably be some sort of scam um yeah. like that like those things where you know follow and like this post and we'll send you a, 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 a her you know Irma's bag or something whatever the fuck you know the like, yeah. Kardashian adjacent people do <laughs> but like it wasn't a scam it was real and the kids yeah. actually did get to keep every toy that and they it was like, like knocked these regular off. kids it wasn't like the the son of an executive like it was like this 
you know, they always had sweepstakes. Um, I'm sure I was just like giving away all my family's information all the time. Like, who cares? Like, so is the phone book, whatever. But it, it had this, like, what was cool about Nickelodeon is it had this real, like, this is a place for kids. Even if you're just a regular kid, like you don't have to be like an actress to, you know, sort of be part of the, the vibe of our network. This is like, you can go to your mailbox and send in yourself a job stamped envelope and like you could be on the toy run too and i was and like that you could have you know yeah it's Um, just like they they did way more than they like had to in order to like make these kids and their families feel comfortable and have them have a good time whereas i'm sure there are other things that were happening contemporaneously and before and since then involving you know Hollywood or whatever yeah. Orlando studios and children where the children were maybe not respected as much yeah. and were treated yeah. more like pawns or whatever. But at least in this instance, the kids were like taken seriously, like yeah. treated with respect. They really wanted the kids to have a good time. And yeah. yeah and like and, one of the, one of the um, people I spoke with for the article um, is named Ann Kramer. And she, um, she and her husband, Kurt Anderson were like part of some of the original founders of spy magazine. And when she, and by the way, Kurt Anderson, if you haven't read it, Kurt Anderson's uh, Jared Kushner um, article is amazing. Oh, I have that book. Yeah, so Kurt Anderson. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's still so a writer and public intellectual. And... Yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, and his wonderful wife, who I spoke with, and I spoke with his daughter, too, um, who is a little bit, a few years younger than us, but, like, ha- you know, also has, like, a lot of Nickelodeon memories. She's she's in the, the Rocco's Modern Life uh you know, sub generations. <laughs> um, but, um, but Anne came from Spy Magazine and wrote to Geraldine Leiborn, who at the time was kind of the, um, the Nickelodeon executive who really was, you know, guided all of the stuff I've been talking about with the rebrand um, and said, it strikes me that, and she worked at Sesame Street before that. And she said, it strikes me that Sesame Street plus Spy Magazine equals Nickelodeon. Um, and she had also, this woman, Anne, had grown up on, you know, reading Mad Magazine as a kid in the Midwest. And it blew her mind that there was this kind of humor in the world. And so it, it's interesting to see those influences in Nickelodeon. But she was hired basically to run their consumer po- products group, which included the, the magazine. She was the editor-in-chief of Nickelodeon magazine and included, you know, GAC and all the things in stores. <laughs> and I, I asked her, like, did you have any retail experience before that? She said, no. In fact, like, I was like, you know, I was very spy magazine, like, don't sell out, you know, almost anti that kind of thing. And so once again, it's just so interesting that the people they had making these decisions um, really were coming at it from like, you know, because at the same time as that was the sort of toy merchandising era of the eighties and nineties, like you talked about with the He-Man mm-hmm. and every show was like a, was a toy. And with Nickelodeon, it was like the network was kind of the, the brand. It wasn't the show. And so um, the toy was Gak or some zany alarm clock that, you know, had a, a train sound or to annoy your parents or whatever it was. Um, and so, you know, just those little things, um, I think just differentiated differentiated it from a lot of the existing programming you know the sort of typical saturday morning cartoon type stuff yeah and that the most famous product is like gak which it wasn't like there was a gak show it was like they invented right. this thing that was embodied the brand somehow and it wasn't like yeah there weren't like hey dude action figures because like you know transformers was actually they the pro the it was a toy first that has yeah. has acquired the rights to this japanese toy line and they're like and then they got people who worked at Marvel to come up with 
characters based on the existing like you know molds yeah. and models and stuff and so it was you know the the, the product came first and then the tv show uh promoting it came after so it was close it was you know somewhere close to a commercial than like a pure artistic um effort or something but yeah so there weren't um hey dude or salute your shorts action figures <laughs> unfortunately like but yeah <laughs> Flome and gack and other weird things that were like one other thing dream. yeah like and one other thing you since you mentioned like you know the gack wasn't in shows but um and i don't actually even remember if specifically gack was in like any i mean i'm sure it was like but like the little interstitials that they had like in between shows mm-hmm. um those little you know bumpers and stuff but those things are those little interstitials and bumpers are actually like hugely important to the network um you know we all kind of remember the like the the songs like the doo-wop like nickelodeon yeah and like it was this doo-wop band that they hired to do these things and you know and all the different i mean even pete and pete um which you know our generation loves the adventures of pete and pete it started out as like um 40 different one minute little little bumper videos um and it was it, when i the people i spoke with um who were around at that point they all just talked so much about the promo team and all those little things and if you kind of like look it up like there's ones i mean it, all these memories come flooding back like i would never just remember them off the top of my head but as soon as i see them i'm like oh yeah there's like dinosaurs singing nickelodeon and a lot of them were all done by different designers and different um, animators. And they were just constantly bringing it like, just like they all had all these creative friends and they were like, Hey, why don't you do the next like one minute Nickelodeon little, you know, promo, I, you know, little station ID thing. Um, and in that way, they, I think a lot of those people that started out on the promos team ended up being on like animating team for some of their later shows and that sort of thing. So it was, it's really cool. Cause like when you, uh, and those things really stick in my memory. I mean, they they did a good, they did a good job with them. Yeah, and yeah, mentioning so, I I want to tell my personal Peter Pete story, but <laughs> I'll put a pin in that. And <laughs> um, like, yeah, the, those little bumpers or like interstitials, they were, and you linked to like a compilation of some of them. And yeah, they were again like more well done than they needed to be. And yeah. I guess there was a lot of creative people who were involved in it and like you know put care into it. Like yeah, hand drawn animation, which is I guess basically a, a dead art at this point. Um, but also they would, it was, yeah, if you think that PMP originally was these one minute shorts and then sometimes they would just show like these random short cartoons. Like there was one for, that was based around the cat came back. Um, <laughs> do you remember that one? They would just yeah. air it at like random time. So it was yeah. almost like a proto YouTube in some ways where like you didn't exactly know what was going to come next and it wouldn't necessarily be a show. Maybe if like mm-hmm. whatever show they were airing was only 25 minutes to 30, they would stick in some random cartoon or something. Um, yeah. But yeah, so there was a lot of just like weird, weirder stuff that yeah, probably a, ne- it's a network. It's cool though. It was like, it was very creatively energizing to write this story because you, I was just talking to a lot of people that were talking about this extremely creative, creatively fruitful era of their lives where they were really empowered and um, kind of like given a lot of leeway. Um, and that it was, that was, I could sense that. Like they really meant it when they would say like, I, that was one of the best jobs I ever had. And um, it was cool. Like that, that part of it like really resonated with me. And and it was, it was also cool to, 
you know, Nickelodeon meant a lot to me and I watched it all the time. I mean, the amount of TV I watched, just like, it sounds like you, I just watched so much TV. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but it was nice to know that I didn't have some false memory of, you know, a bunch of stuff made by a bunch of jerks that were I, like, it was nice to know that like, actually the people doing this stuff are really cool and really interesting and have sort of gone on to do more cool and interesting work since. Yeah. And I just, suddenly remembered this story from a couple of years ago, which was that there was some sort of company or something that had, that was producing these videos on YouTube that were like algorithmically derived and nightmarish. And there were computer graphics of like Spider-Man and Bart Simpson and other things and like an alligator and nothing. It didn't make sense because it wasn't a script and just like a computer program was writing it, but they somehow manipulated or took advantage of quirks in the YouTube algorithm such that if someone just let their kid, you know, watch on a tablet or something, YouTube nonstop, eventually these videos would start coming up and they get millions of views, even though they were nonsensical and nightmarish. Yeah. (laughs) Like Peppa Pig, like bleeding from the eyes or whatever. And so that's like the complete 180 nightmare version of, you know, like a bunch of creative people, like trying to do something for children's enjoyment versus writing an algorithm so that a like cheap CGI Spider-Man will like briefly entertain or distract a child <laughs> such that like the video will play and they, that person gets like one, t- one millionth of a cent or something. So yeah. times, have, times have changed. I guess is what I'm thinking. I mean, what, how did I assume, do your kids watch anything that's equivalent to this stuff today? Do you let them watch TV or? Do they watch the bleeding eye Peppa Pig? Uh, (laughs) Which the answer is probably yes. Um, They, yeah, my kids, you know, especially in the last year, year and a half or whatever, um, they watch a lot of shows. Um, They don't have like, like to them, they, they want to, they want me to always go to Netflix. Like that's where, I mean, they'll, they'll watch other shows, but like, can we mention this? It's on PBS kids. I mean, it's all just the apps to them. (laughs) So they don't have, you know, to them, they don't have this sort of like Nickelodeon clubhouse type situation. Um, they just are very show dependent. Um, but they, you know, they watch a lot of stuff and, and some of those shows they watch are really cool and I kind of enjoy them. And then some of them are just like total, just like trash, like no redeeming value, but I'm, I kind of feel like there's a place for that. Like, I don't really care. Um, try to like steer them toward the ones. I mean, I will say it's interesting. Some of those shows like Octonauts and stuff, um, they learn, they learn so much. Like they are parroting all these things about different animals. And um, so (laughs) I cling to that, but, but also what I liked about Nickelodeon, it wasn't trying to be educational all the time. Like, and so, um, you know, writing this piece made me feel a little bit better about my kids own consumption, um, (laughs) just letting them be kids and, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. We, we turned out all right, more or less. I yeah, guess. exactly. I know. Um, There's so many times I was like, "But did I turn out all right?" And it's hard. <laughs> the jury's still out. But yeah, I I watched a lot of TV. So however I am is is definitely the result of something. Yeah, yeah. I same for me actually. I, we we may have we might have been friends if we were children and we're both so obsessed with <laughs> watching TV. Yeah. So let me just briefly tell my P2P uh, thing, which I guess was the closest I came to the Nickelodeon toy run sort of exciting. You know, entering the TV experience, which was, I grew up in Northern New Jersey and a lot of uh, Pete and Pete was filmed in, in the suburbs of Northern New Jersey. And so there were two, so the, there were two interesting things. One was that um, a girl who was in my homeroom, um, her, the, the show took over her house for or at least one of the seasons. And that was the Pete family house. And so she moved onto my street. I don't know. They must've 
been paying paid their mortgage off or something to, to, like do this uh, film in an actual house that a family was living in so she like for a year lived on my street um while her house was being used by the Pete and Pete um filmmakers and then they filmed um an episode or two episodes at the park at the end of my street and me and the other neighborhood kids went down and watched them filming and we got to meet all the actors and uh it was the episode it was a fine, it was, I think a two part season finale where Artie leaves the show. Um, <laughs> and the villain was this guy who was a, um, who lived in, an actor who lived in town, um, who, uh, James Rebhorn, who uh-huh. uh, passed oh, away yeah, a, yeah. a decade ago. Yeah, yeah. He was also, he was the villain in Independence Day or the evil defense yeah. secretary in Independence Day. He was in the Seinfeld finale. Yeah. 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 He right? often was a, a character actor. Um, but he, he played this guy, the, the siding, sidler or the evil siding man or something. He was like a siding, <laughs> aluminum siding salesman. Um, and anyway, so we, they were just like the neighborhood kids. This is still the time when neighborhood kids would just go to the park. Seeing and that is like seeing the, um, the, the guy, so saw, the, like the guy from Home Alone, <laughs> like the, the neighbor. <laughs> yes. So we, um, yeah, so we ended up, um, like playing soccer with the child actors and my, the kid who lived a block over, his older brother kicked the ball and it hit Big Pete in the nose and the adults <laughs> told us we had to stop. And I saw Artie, the actor played Artie, smoking a cigarette. A cigarette. Oh my God, and, that's um, incredible. And we all somehow became convinced that the actress who played uh, Ellen had a crush on my friend. And so this was just, it, this was like super exciting as a, you know, 11 year old um, that that happened. But Yeah, that's like the, I mean, and I'm also, not, what what I also love about this is like, the kids whisper network like obviously the girl moved to your street but like there was always like the kid at school that knew someone that had been touched by Nickelodeon in some way you know what I mean and like just the these like legends that would be passed along from I mean because think about how many kids it was like my cousin's friend like knows someone that Pete and Pete Fink filmed in their house and that was like social currency you know Yes, or I this probably still happens with kids, but like you know, someone's uncle worked at Nintendo, or maybe they pretended the, <laughs> the uncle worked at Nintendo, so they got to pe- play the new Super Mario Brothers before anyone else, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so that actually strangely did happen. Uh, but that was about that was my impression of fame. But you reminded me with the um, you know they did have a ton of contests. They're always having contests, yeah. and this is I guess the Super Toy Run was the ultimate like lotto winning one. But they they had um I did win one uh, one of the smaller contests, oh, really? I mean much smaller, which was the Nick or Treat one. <laughs> Which I think you won like a candy or a t-shirt or something, but the whole thing was you're supposed to answer your phone, uh, Nick yes. or Treat. And Wait, I, re- I would never remember that. And like, no, I totally, yeah. You're- yeah. So it was their Halloween, you know, contest. <laughs> and then, so I, so they, I mean, there were probably 5,000 kids who won, but so they called the, they called the house and I answered and I said, hello. And, um, and then the person on the other line was an adult. And they, since I didn't say Nick or Treat, he was like, hi, I'm calling from Nickelodeon. And I, and I thought there was like, the, it was like the cable company calling. So I was like, do you want to talk to my mom? Like we hadn't paid the bill or something, but he was like, no, did you enter a contest? And I was like, so I had forgotten, you know, yeah. about this. so then eventually he like convinced me to say Nick or Tree. And then he's like, you won. And you know, he sent me a t-shirt and some candy or, or something like that. But that was another, yeah, again, like they didn't have to like do this. I, know. I don't know. Like, and just, I love thinking about like who like the employee was, whose job it was, was to like, call, call these kids, kids and be like, okay, now if you say Nick or Treat, like <laughs> I will send you like, in it for you. Yeah. yeah, five pounds of candy. <laughs> um, yeah. So okay, well, what is I, I, this was such an enjoyable piece to read for me. What is the have you gotten other reactions similar of people who are just like, oh my god, I've heard Roundhouse. I never heard anyone else talk about Roundhouse. Yeah, it was. It, yeah, round. I had to get round. Actually, I think that. 
I'm almost positive there like something there was like a line in there that got like edited out involving roundhouse and I always I'm like I always just like go with whatever edits are suggested and I was like like one of the rare times I was like no we really actually need to just you thought, like you keep fought this. for roundhouse yeah I was like I gotta keep roundhouse and I mean roundhouse was such a I think it only had one season maybe but I remember yeah. I, it was so it was uh, it was a sketch show and then it, it was before, it wasn't all that it was before all that and then yeah, all that was a huge that. hit and Keenan and Kel were on that and other people who became adult actors were on that it was a huge success but roundhouse was just like a total blip but I remember it, it was sort of like grunge grunge yeah, it, was almost, or it almost reminded me of like that mtv show the state at the time like it was kind of this like it was like that was more like sketch in the, but i remember my dad thought it was funny like there was that the dad character on that easy chair that had it was like this giant motorized like bark right, lounger right. that had like a built-in fridge it might even had like a built-in toilet like it was kind <laughs> of this like gross concept my dad thought that was the funniest thing in the world and so like i thought like I thought I was watching like high comedy. Um, and yeah, but I, I never really hear about Roundhouse. Um, but yeah, Snick came out like around this time. And I remember watching Are You Afraid of the Dark and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I got some good, like, um, I was, this is one of those pieces where I talked to so many people that I, I was trying to get so much into the piece um, that writing it was it was creatively energizing and fun, but a little bit stressful just because it was, you know, I was trying to get in like so many stories and voices. Um, so then when it came out, it, I, it was, it was nice to just have a lot of people that, um, that it resonated with. And it was, actually I got some good responses from people who were parents at the, in the nineties and remember their kids watching it. And like, those are some of my favorite responses because they were like, Oh yeah, I remember my kids. Like, freaking calling these numbers all the time and entering contests but like I didn't really mind it because like the network was kind of cool and um and there were you know I didn't mind some of the shows and so um yeah it was fine and and like I said it was just it was really fun to talk to a lot of the the creative types who were behind a lot of these decisions because they were just really rad people and um you know it's fun it's like I can't think of a more fun thing than to just be hanging out with kids in your creative life and um so um yeah i like i said it was a reading it was proustian and had me you know <laughs> thinking back on all these things i hadn't thought about in a long time like hey dude and and so and there's this whole package of other articles and one of them is yeah. an interview with the, the uh for you know grown-up child actor who played budnick on salute your shorts and other such sort of interesting things so people so yeah you know 90s yeah, was, i mean it was fun like with the ringer it's like i feel like it was the perfect it was very ringer um week like it was i think we i was really proud like every time i would go to the site there would be some really interesting cool new story and i feel like it was a good a well-executed package of like some really interesting articles by a lot of our writers yeah, it, I'm, it, it, I'm glad you enjoyed it too. It was fun. <laughs> it was enjoyable. You know, uh, it it felt you know something that felt positive is always always nice. But uh, especially when you know there's a lot of other negative news happening. So yeah, so thanks. Yeah. So thanks for the piece. Thanks for coming on. Anything else you you want to say or promote or <laughs> mention your Twitter <laughs> handle or other such things? Oh man, well my Twitter's at Katie Bakes. Um, please come to the ringer.com for all your sports and pop culture needs. Um, I, those are my big promotions. I'm, uh, I don't have a, I don't have anything too, too much more exciting than that. Um, 
Well, yeah. So thanks again for coming on and, you know, going down the rabbit hole of, you know, this very specific, you know, micro generation that, that we share of pop culture, you know, pop culture life. Um, and it is, yeah, it seems like a vanished world in some, in some ways. Like, yeah, it's, just, yeah. I, it's not like I consume any uh, children's television today, but it just seems like this was. Yeah. This, what this I'm, like what I'm curious thing. about is like, what happened to the game show? Like there was kind of a game show era. Um, and I don't know why, why it's not a thing anymore. Like, I don't know if there's some reason that it like, it's not profitable or whatever it is, but I'm curious why there's not just more of that. Cause I, cause I, you know, people love like experiences and um, yeah. unscripted stuff. And, and so, yeah, I mean, back double there. I don't know. Yeah. I'm surprised. I feel like there people at least must have tried to reboot double dare over the yeah, years probably and sort of like, you know, survivor is sort of like in the vein of double dare, at least in some ways. And I guess yeah, the TV true. style competitions took over from more of the, standard game show thing where you're not like following you know someone individual person's journey it's just like new contestants every week yeah, yeah. i mean we didn't really talk about that much about double dare but that was one of the signature shows and, all, and another thing where i was like um so like i wanted to be on the show so badly and i would like fantasize about the different strategies i would take to like dig through the you know the slime to pull out the, the flag or, like, all the different <laughs> things i'll be like no like this person's messing up like i would you gotta like do this differently um yeah so that was like yeah another another childhood dream um and uh yeah there just there, there really was yeah there really was a lot okay so anything else you want to say before we wrap it up no keep on keep up the good work uh <laughs> hang in there um thanks for the time this has been a really fun conversation yeah i i uh, i appreciate you taking the time as well and you know thanks to anyone who is still watching this who is or is not a geriatric <laughs> millennial um but you know you can rate you can review you can subscribe follow whatever okay so um thanks again katie and thanks to all of our, all of our viewers and listeners and we'll see you next time